Well, it's good to see you all this morning. It's Shindig Weekend at NBC. That's our all-church campout weekend, and so we have a lot up in Dixon Valley camping this weekend. But I don't know about you, after all the storms and rain last night, I think we, we're the wise ones that made the wise decision just to stay home. I, I just felt like that was what God had called me to do this week. Um, but here we are under a dry roof, and that's awesome uh, to be here. For those of you I haven't met, I'm Pastor Brent, and uh, I'm what they call the connections pastor around here. And my people always ask, well, what is that? And my main role is helping people connect with each other through different groups and ministries, but as well helping people connect with God in a deeper way and uh, just helping them grow in their faith and their relationship with Jesus Christ. So you see me a lot out there in that area, but not as often up here. Uh, but this weekend, uh, with many gone and things, uh, my name finally came up. So, no, I'm just teasing. Uh, but we're in our series, Another in the Fire, and looking through the book of Hebrews. Uh, we've done a series a couple years ago called Greater Than that did the same thing, and I, Pastor Earl just really feels strongly that this book has an amazing uh, message for us to hear continually of the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And last year, last week, Pastor Errol and Pastor Eric gave us some key points to start off our series and looking at the, the value of Jesus' supremacy in our life and how when you have Jesus central in your life, he gives you a confidence in Scripture that you wouldn't have otherwise because in a sense you see Scripture as God breathed. You see Scripture as, as, as the Word of God and you see Jesus even as the Word in flesh. It also impacts our confidence in our personal worth. That when we see ourselves through Jesus, there's something that gives us a more pi divine picture, or I shouldn't say divine, but more of an innate picture of who we are, created in the image of God, image bearers of God, rather than just happenstance or an act of accident that somehow we arrived here on this planet, but rather God has put us here with a purpose and a reason. And we also found out that when we keep Christ central in our life, even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of tough times, we can have a confidence because we're not going it alone, but we're going it with Jesus. And that's really kind of the, the, the meaning behind our series of Another in the Fire is realizing that when we're in the fires of life, we are not going alone, but that Jesus is walking there with us. If you have your Bibles, get them open to Hebrews chapter 1, and we'll be getting there in just a moment. But the writer of Hebrews, just to recap kind of from last week as well, is writing to give hope to believers that we're going through some tough times, that we're experiencing persecution, that we're experiencing isolation from their friends and their family, that we're <clears throat> questioning and wondering, what have I gotten myself into? And the writer of Hebrews reminds them, Continue to serve Jesus with all your heart, soul, and mind, no matter the circumstances. And he also speaks to those that were wavering because of their circumstances, that were beginning to drift away from what Jesus was wanting to do in their life. And the writer encourages them to keep their eyes on Jesus, to keep their focus on who Jesus is and what he's doing in their life. And so this morning, as we get into our passage in Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to see this once again as the writer of Hebrews tells us, 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's a lot of other good things happening. There's a lot of other things God is doing and working in. He's worked through prophets. He's worked through angels. He's worked through messengers throughout history. But right now, it's Jesus. So get your eyes on Jesus. And so we're going to see that this morning as we go through our message, as we're going to kind of go through the comparison of angels to Jesus. And it's interesting, the author gives us angels right off, but we're going to hit on that here in just a minute. So if you have your Bibles, would you stand with me? And we're going to read together the whole chapter of Hebrews 1, just to give us a context. And if you're an underliner or a circler or anything like that, I encourage you as we're reading through, every time you see the name Son, S-O-N, capitalized, go ahead and circle that. And when you see the term angels, maybe underline that because you're going to see this two comparison of the Son of God to the angels. All right, verse 1. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom He made the universe. Interesting thing we need to remember as it starts out. It says, In the past... God had spoken. He'd spoken through prophets. He'd spoken through others. God had spoken, but he says, and now God is continuing to speak in these last days. So God has spoken, and he continues to speak. He wasn't just speaking in the past, and now he's done, and we're just sit around and wait. He said, no, he's spoken in the past, and he's speaking now today. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. Anybody ever have any old clothes you got to roll up and throw away? Okay? It's kind of the picture he's given. There's a day when things of this earth are going to roll up. God's going to be done. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you, Lord, remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? May the Lord bless his word to us this morning. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our topic today is the comparison of Jesus with angels. Now, 
We, we are fascinated with angels. And I don't know if you realize we have angels among us this morning. Um, they're very unique in their nature, as you can tell already. But angels are a fascinating thing to our culture. We read books about angels. We watch TV shows and movies about angels. Probably a lot of us have even had thoughts about what must an angel be doing right now or have experienced some things of angels in our lives. I've been amazed after every service, I've had people come up to me and tell me stories of how angels they feel have, have done something, impacted their lives. I can remember as a little kid, I grew up in a, a little Pentecostal church up in northern Minnesota. My dad was a pastor. And so guess what? You had to go to church every time the door was open. And we used to have Sunday night services. How many remember those? Yeah, some of you old-timers like me. Okay? <clears throat> you go Sunday morning for Sunday school. You go Sunday for worship. Then you go Sunday night for service. Then Wednesday night and probably a prayer meeting in there too somewhere. It's like we were always at church. And look at I turned out halfway decent. At least that's my opinion. But um, <clears throat> on Sunday night services, one of the things we'd often do is have testimony time where people would tell stories of what God was doing or moving in their lives or even some stories of where they feel like, man, I'm just wondering where God's at in all this. I, as a little boy, I remember hearing one story one night in service of an elderly couple from our church, and they drove like 40 miles to our church. We were up in the Iron Range of... Minnesota up in the, in the arrowhead there, and uh, they would drive 40 miles on this little highway through the woods and the lakes to get to our church. And uh, they were telling the story of one night they were driving home from church on, on the little highway, and they got behind one of these big semis that was carrying a load of some of the old uh, big tires from the mining equipment of the Iron Range. And if you've ever seen some of those trucks, like the tires, I can't even reach the top. They're like 12-foot high tires, you know? And so these huge tires are on this flatbed of this truck, and, and they're behind it, and they just can't get around it. And so they're just kind of riding behind it, and all of a sudden, the, something let lo lets loose on the truck, and one of these tires comes rolling down their road right at them in their little Chevette. Anybody have one of those things? <clears throat> those were not exactly known for their safety record, okay? They're in their Chevette, and they said, we had nothing to do. All we could do is cry out, Jesus, help us. They couldn't go to the right or the left. And they said, as that tire rolled right in front of them, it split in half and went into the ditches on both sides. They said, that night we knew God had angels watching over us. And as a little boy sitting on the wooden pew, I'm like, oh my goodness. Whoops, I forgot I had a mic there. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. Steve Halcom, who... Some of you know he's a Southwest flight pilot for uh, Southwest, and uh, he was at service last night, and he was saying, telling me a story from a few years ago when he was in Atlanta. He'd flown to Atlanta, and it was late at night, and got his rental car, and he's heading out, and he said, I'm in the middle of the darkness of downtown uh, Atlanta in kind of a not, a not so good section of town, and he said, I'm motoring along, and all of a sudden his tie rod broke on his car, and he said, of course, your car's weaving all over, and he just slams up over the curb and into whatever the building or whatever it was near, near there. And he said, I'm just totally dazed. He said, I'm still in my uniform from flying that day. And he said, all of a sudden, I start seeing, like, groups. He'd call them, like, mobs of people 
starting to canvas and get close to his car. And he's like, I was just freaking out. He said, all of a sudden I hear a knock on my window and I look up and here's a guy in 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 a tan raincoat type thing. And he says, hey buddy, you wanna live? Follow me. And so he follows this guy in this drenched coat and he takes him about a quarter of a mile to a gas station where he was able to call and get help. And he said, I'm calling. And he said, I turn around to tell this guy thank you, and the guy was gone. He said, I, he said, I don't know, but he said, I am pretty sure that was an angel. Because he said, literally, as we walked through the crowd, the people just kind of split apart. See, we have this amazing fascination with the angelic realm. And this isn't new to us. This was something that was happening even in the first century of the early readers of the book of Hebrews. They looked at angels as very important and valuable beings in their lives. For it was through the angels that they had received the words of God. It was through the angels that the prophets had spoken. And so they had a high level of respect for angels. Now, as you look at the term angel in the Old Testament, the term is a Greek, or Hebrew word malach. Malach. Some of you in the front seat might have got a little spit there. You almost got a spit on it. And in the New Testament, they went nicer with the Greek in angelos. Angelos. Okay? But both terms mean pretty much the same thing. Messenger. Messenger. And so throughout Scripture, we have stories and allusions to these messengers, these angels. In fact, uh, one Bible scholar said there's 196 references in Scripture to angels. They are real. They're working, and they're moving amongst people. Who was it that came to Abraham and Lot when God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? It was angels who showed up. Who was it that came with the word to little Virgin Mary that she was going to be the mother of the Christ child. It was an angel. Who was it that came to Jesus and helped minister to him after his temptation in the desert for 40 days? It was angels. Who was it that rolled the stone away from the tomb and announced to the disciples what had happened at the resurrection? It was angels. It was even angels that stood alongside the disciples at the ascension of Christ into heaven and told the disciples, hey, don't need to keep looking up. He's going to come again. Go about the business now. So you can see the amazing reality that the people that are reading the book of Hebrews, they understood the value of angels. But the writer of Hebrews doesn't write about all this stuff about angels to go, ooh, look at the angels, how wonderful, how marvelous they are. He writes and compares the reality of, look at and how you have admired angels, but look at how greater Jesus is. He writes the whole book of Hebrews to point his audience to see the wonder and the glory of Jesus. His goal is not for us to be enthralled by the spiritual realm, but to be enraptured by the creator of the spirit's realm. To be enraptured and to have our eyes pointed to the one who has created all and is all. Jesus is a greater message than alternative messengers. 
And the writer of Hebrews pleads with his readers, and he pleads with us today that despite our interest and, our, and even our fascination with the spiritual realm and what God is doing in that area of even angels, but to look even beyond that and to look at the power of who the Son is and what Jesus has done. So what we find in Hebrews chapter 1 is the writer, in a sense, giving one one explanation after another, one description after another from the Old Testament of the value of angels, but the son's superiority to the angels. In fact, he just keeps going one after another. How many of you in your home, when you're trying to win an argument, just keep talking? Boy, a lot of the women's hands keep coming up. Uh, no, I'm just teasing you. Not a women basher. Don't go there. But isn't that funny? We still do this today where we just want to give one example after another. We don't even give, give them a chance to, okay, let me react to it. Nope, here's another one. Here's another one. Here's what the writer of Hebrews does is that exact same thing as he quotes from seven different Old Testament references to angels and the sun. And what you find is his just repeated topic. Okay, Here's what is said about angels, but here's what's said about the sun. So in verse 5, he quotes Psalm 2 and 7. He says, for which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I become your father. He said, there is no angel that the father of God has said, you're my son. Instead, he says, no, that's to the son only. That's to Christ himself. Verse 5, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. That's 2 Samuel 7, 14. Verse 6. It says, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him, which is quoting Psalm 97, 7. He says, you put a value on angels, but even the angels are worshiping the Son, not vice versa. You put up the angels so close and so um, relevant to your lives, but here's the Son. The angels are worshiping the Son. Verse 7, he quotes Psalm 104, verse 4 says he makes his angels winds or spirits and his servants flames of fire. Speaking of that transitory role of, of angels like wind and like fire that just here and there and gone. But in verse 8 and 9 says, but about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. As he quotes Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, of the sun's eternality. Verses 10 through 12, he says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment. They will be changed. But you, Lord, remain the same, and your years will never end. That's Psalm 102. Showing that the angels, they, weren't, they didn't lay the foundations of the earth. Jesus was there as the Son and he did that. Verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? That's Psalm 110, verse 1. He's saying, there's no angel that is sitting at the right hand of God. That place of power, that place of superiority, that place of rule. He says, I have set the sun there. I have set the sun, Jesus Christ. And so through this whole comparison, what the writer is doing is using an old rabbinical form of, in a sense, explaining if the lesser is true, 
then how much more the greater? If this is true about angels and you have awe and respect for them as the messengers of God, how much greater is the Son, is Jesus Christ? Yes, the Old Testament law and the prophets, they were ordained through the work of angels, and that was good. He's not dissing them. He's not saying, oh, that was so old-fashioned. No, he's saying they had a value. They had purpose. But the Son of God has even a greater purpose in what he's wanting to do in our lives. Here's kind of a scientific example. How many see the moon at night? Okay, yeah. Some of you are awake at that point, okay? And the moon has value, doesn't it? The moon has value. What does the moon do? So, okay, it gives us tides. Our tides are based on the gravitational pull of, of the moon. So if we didn't have the moon, we wouldn't have tides. What else does the moon do? It reflects the sun. Very good. I have to tell you, the Saturday night crowd, no one could figure that one out. <laughs> I waited, and I'm like, okay, guys, this is obvious. No, you know. Thank you guys for being bright this morning. Scripture even says that the moon is the lesser of the lights that was created by God as it reflects the sun. So at night, we get our moon, give us a little light. We got the moon that gives us tides that come in and come and go that help keep our planet stable. And all that's good, isn't it? But it's nothing compared to the S-U-N sun that we revolve around. That our earth revolves around and keeps its balance. That today gives us heat. We even saw peaks of the sun today. Hallelujah. Okay? So the writer of Hebrews is giving us this illustration. Okay, if this is a little bit is true and this is awesome, how much greater? How much greater must Jesus be? Well, one of the enemy's greatest tricks of his trade is to try to lower Jesus from being this greater to being just kind of okay. In our world today, you know, to be honest, there, it's hard to go find an actual Jesus hater. Okay, most people don't wear the shirt, I hate Jesus, and I hope you do too. You know, they're not Jesus haters. They just don't recognize Jesus as greater. They'll see him as a good teacher. Yeah, I like some of his principles for living. Kind of like a Buddha to me. And they keep him down here when he should be up here. Well, you know, I, I pull him out of my back pocket when I'm in trouble once in a while, and, and that's all right. And we keep him as Jesus the genie rather than Jesus the creator. We can even look at some of the world religions of today and even some of the, uh, the cults of Christianity that have rejected Jesus for who he truly is. Jehovah Witnesses today will believe Jesus is a God, but he is a God created by the God. Islam recognizes Jesus as a great prophet, but not as God. Buddhism 
will see him as an enlightened prophet or a enlightened philosopher. But he's not God. And we can point our fingers at, at those two groups of people and go, how can you not see how great Jesus is? How can you not put him up as being greater? But yet, how many times in our own lives do we lessen Jesus when troubles come? In our marriages, when troubles come in our relationships, and we're trying to get help from our friends, we're trying to get help from everyone, and don't get me wrong, those are all good, and that's the same thing with the angels. We're trying to get counsel from this one and that one, oh, that's good. But we sometimes forget to put Jesus in the mix. Pastor Carlos and I were talking about this last night. There are so many times where we'll be counseling with couples especially, and we're asking, well, what are you doing with Jesus in your relationship? Well, that's not the point. We're having troubles. Well, what you're doing with Jesus could be affecting how your relationship is. In our struggles in life and our worry that overtakes us, sometimes we're, we're so apt to just set in on the worry and, the, and trying to figure out what to do. And that's good. It's good to be thinking about how to solve your problems. But it's not the best when you can put it in Jesus' hands and say, Jesus, I need you. And the writer of Hebrews is reminding his early readers, and he, I believe he's speaking loudly to us today, let's not lower Jesus down to this little explanation. Let's remain and keep him up where he needs to be, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, and the healer of our hearts. The writer of Hebrews makes it very clear that no matter where we put Jesus, it's going to impact how we live. If we have him as a superior, central figure, everything of our life, he is our all in all, it's going to affect our marriage, it's going to affect our relationships, it's going to affect how we do our jobs, it's going to impact how we live. And the same is true as if we just kind of make him a Sunday Jesus, that we show up on Sunday, we might crack the Bible once in a while, but we just keep him down here. He's never going to impact our lives to the point of where he is here when he's Lord and Savior of every part of our life. We need to be a people that are living with a Jesus that is superior to everything in our life. And the writer of Hebrews used something that the people of his day knew about, and that was angels. They loved angels. They were infatuated, like I said, with the, their work and their ministry. But he says, if you think that's good, here is something even cooler and greater, what the Son is going to do. So this morning, as we continue on our message, I just want to give some comparisons from the angels to the Son. First of all, in Scripture, you see the angels referred to as sons of God. In fact, in the Old Testament, you'll see this quote, this phrase quite often, that the sons of God, that's referring to angels, but it's only Jesus that is given the title, the Son of God. In verse 4 of Hebrews 1, we see that he said he was given that name that is superior to theirs. He is the Son of God. Angels are also just worshipers. Nothing degrading about that. That's awesome. They're around the throne worshiping, but Jesus is the object of their worship. It's good to be worshipers, but he said, Jesus is the one they are worshiping. 
It's also given in this passage that angels are the created beings. They were created by God, but Jesus is the creator. In fact, Psalm 148 speaks of this. Angels are looked upon as servants. Verses 13 through 14 there in Hebrews 1, as they are sent to serve, but Jesus is looked upon as Lord, as the one that is sending them. And that goes on to our next one. Angels are sent beings. They're on mission. They're on purpose from God. Jesus is the sender. And as we said at the start of this message, angels are looked upon as the messengers sent by God. Jesus is the message. John 1, in the beginning, the Word became flesh. And he dwelled among us. The word became flesh. So we cannot leave Jesus simply as a good moral teacher or simply an anointed messenger or an angel that worked his way up the ranks. We, like the readers of Hebrews, initially have to look at Jesus and go, who is he to us? Is he truly the Son of God? Is he the one that's with you at the greatest points in your life? Is he the one that's with you at the lower points in your life? Is he the one that is sustaining you and keeping you? As verse 4 says, Jesus is superior to the angels in their name. Superior, that term is a Greek term called kraton. And kraton simply means to be better than, to be over, to be superior of. And throughout the book of Hebrews, this is going to be the the word that we're going to come back to over and over and over again. That you know what this is like, but Jesus is greater. You know what Moses did, but Jesus is greater. You know what a high priest is like, but Jesus is better. And we come to this reality, what will we do with Jesus? Who is he to you? I remember in my young days growing up and hearing several evangelists use the phrase, eternity, eternity. Where will you spend eternity and what will you do with Jesus? Because that's the bottom line. What will you do with Jesus? See, believing in angels is nice, but the writer of Hebrews says that's not enough. Believing in the good moral teachings of Jesus, that's good. It'll help you guide some good principles into your life, but it's still not going to save you. Believing Jesus as an extraordinary anointed messenger of God, a prophet, is wonderful, but it's not enough. Even being a Sunday Jesus, like I said, of being religious and coming to church and Maybe cracking your Bible once in a while. That's nice, but it's not going to save your soul. The only thing that will bring true life to us in the saving of our lives is recognizing Jesus as the Son of God. And the writer of Hebrews is so careful about putting these words together to remind his listeners you have watched what angels have done. You have seen the goodness of God. But what God is doing now through Christ is even greater. Put your eyes on Jesus. Put your eyes on Jesus. If that is true, how should we live our lives then? Francis Schaeffer 
wrote his philosophy, Christian philosophy many, many years ago, but he used this phrase, how should we then live? If we really believe Jesus is the Son of God, how should that affect how we live? Some sects of the Christian church have put great emphasis on the prayer to saints and angels. But the scriptural truth is that none of them are our rescuers or our mediators. Jesus is our one and only. It's not to diss that. It's not to put that aside and, oh, they're so wrong. No, it's just to say, turn your eyes to Jesus. He's the one that's mediating for us today. And just like early believers, we can get sidetracked with focusing on all the messengers of our day and forget the message. Now, most of us don't wake up in the morning and go, boy, I wonder what the message of the angels is going to be today. But we do wake up and we turn on our TV to see what the news is of the day. We turn on our computer to see what my rating is on Facebook today and if I'm liked or not liked. And we'll open the newspaper to see what the news is of the day and how I should live and where I should go and what I should do. And not that all all that's all wrong. But are we living our day focused on Jesus instead? Too often, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we can get in just the routine role of living like the world following all the messengers that the world is sending to us instead of forgetting about and missing the true message of living my life for Jesus Christ every day in my house, at work, not just inside this walls for, four, uh, uh, for an hour on Sundays, but to live for Jesus every part of my life. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to just keep hammering away at us. He's not going to let up. He says, if you are truly going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, he has to be the greatest. He has to be everything in your life. And when he's everything in your life, it's going to show. And so may we as followers of Jesus Christ not just be followers in name only, but may Jesus Christ be everything of our lives. May it affect how we interact at home with each other. May it affect how we are at the ball fields later with our kids. May it affect today in every aspect of our life that we're just not living for the common messengers. We're living for the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're here today and you haven't fully surrendered your life to the King of Kings, You've been living for a few other things. They might even be good things, but you haven't been living for him. I encourage you to stop me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. Stop with somebody you came with today and say, I, I, I want to follow Jesus like that. And let's let Jesus be Lord of our life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that we can have a confidence that no matter where we're at, no matter what we're facing, that you are greater than. And God, I pray today for some of us that have gotten in a path that's been drifting us away. God, we've gotten kind of fascinated with other things in this world and we've forgotten the one who created this world. I pray, God, that you would bring us back to focus and help us follow you with all of our hearts. As we go through this week, this week, Lord, may people recognize in us the reflection of the sun as we reflect your glory 
and what you're doing in our lives. Be with your church this week. God, let us be your missionaries wherever we're at. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day and a great week.